Therapy Chat Podcast, Episode 209. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan. And as we near the end of the year, I am bringing you a second interview with Rebecca Bloom, who's an art therapist you heard me speaking with a few weeks ago. If you missed it, I'll be sure to link to that episode in the show notes. But Rebecca is an art therapist who also is trained in sensory motor psychotherapy. And in this conversation, we talked about how she uses art therapy in her work with sensory motor psychotherapy. So let's dive right in and listen to my second interview with Rebecca Bloom. Therapy Chat Podcast wouldn't exist without the support of its listeners. If you'd like to become a member, please go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. By making a $1 per month donation, you can help Therapy Chat keep going over the long haul. Thank you for your support. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. Today, I'm excited to be having a second conversation with someone who I talked with recently and sparked many interesting thoughts and questions in that previous conversation. So we wanted to come back together. My guest today is Rebecca Bloom, LMHC. Rebecca, welcome back to Therapy Chat. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you again. I'm good at coming back. (laughs) That's a good quality. (laughs) Hard to get rid of, right? (laughs) Yes. I'm like, oh, you want to talk again? Yeah, I'll talk. (laughs) Good. I love it. So, Rebecca, for anyone who didn't catch your first interview with me, and I'll go ahead and link to that in the show notes so people can go back and listen. But for now, we can you tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do? Sure. So I am a licensed mental health counselor and a board certified art therapist. I have a private practice in South Seattle. 
I work mostly with adults addressing complex trauma. So my average client is probably gifted, probably grew up with a narcissistic parent, might currently have a drug addicted family member or an extremely stressful job. And so my work is to help them find a sense of stabilization in their daily life. Hmm. It sounds like many of my clients as well. Oh, good. It's good to have places to go. Everywhere yeah. Go. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I was just thinking when you said complex trauma and, and that is how I talk about my work, too. I say I work with people who have complex trauma. But just for anybody who's stumbling upon therapy chat for the first time, can you kind of give a brief overview of how you differentiate that from something else? Yeah. So one of the things that I've heard is, you know, some people call it lowercase trauma and uppercase trauma. But often when people think about therapy, they think, oh, you were in a car accident or you were robbed or raped or a single event happened. Of course, you would need therapy after that. But it's not as common that people understand that if you grew up in a really dysfunctional family system, you probably have no internal way of regulating yourself. And so therapy becomes a way to kind of process your day, process your childhood, begin to understand these like long-term patterns that have never really worked, but you stuck with because you didn't know what else to do. Often clients find themselves, you know, it's continually something's off. Their workplace is off. Their relationship is off. They can't maintain friendships. Their family relationships are always strained. And internally, they feel they tend to have really low self-esteem or they just don't know how they feel. <laughs> That's another That's thing. That's a big people, one. Yeah. And so my work tends to be with adults trying to sort that out. Um, how do they feel? How, how do you know when you're having a feeling at all? How do you trust your body to tell you when and when not to act? And this is, you know, all work about kind of slowing down and maybe listening to yourself for the first time and knowing that your own internal cues are valid. Yeah, thank you. That's a beautiful explanation. And just want to, you know, both recap what people often think of as single incident traumas like car accidents, and then complex trauma is more this experience of just never really feeling like you could be regulated. I really like that. I mean, that's not what the trauma is, but that's the effect of it. Right. So I think last time we talked about the Janina Fisher says, you know, trauma is a brain disorder. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The brain can no longer land in a place of stillness. It can almost feel uncomfortable if things aren't moving around quickly and to retrain the brain that to feel calm is okay and actually beneficial. That's a lot of the work. Yeah, I always think about that concept of safety, really, just being safe in your body enough that you can explore the world around you, you know, and if you never had that feeling that it was okay just to relax and settle into your body and trust that you would be okay because something would always happen unexpected that would rattle you and throw you off, you know, because your parent was anxious or because there were a lot of crises or you had just a lot of instability or chaos, you know, which isn't always even something that was your parents' fault or intention, but just, what was yeah but, but that that idea that people think like safety yeah i'm safe but it's like no being safe in your body where you feel 
safe to be in your body. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that's just so hard to grasp until you actually maybe experience what it feels like to be, to have that state of being safe and regulated in your body. And then you're like, oh, I want that. Yeah. And I can make, <laughs> you know, and the decisions you make from that safe, regulated place tend to be decisions that you can live with as opposed to constantly jumping from one crisis to the next, you know, just one kind of band-aid to the next. Yeah. Well, I love that we're working with doing similar work with people who've experienced similar things and feel similar ways. I always love talking about that work too. So, so what really got my interest aside from what we were already talking about last time, which was your book, Vicarious Trauma Illustrated, was the the fact that you're in training for sensory motor psychotherapy. You're in level two now, right? I completed level two. Okay. I'll correct myself. So you, <laughs> you have completed level two in level uh-huh. one of sensory motor psychotherapy training. Yeah. Yeah. And me too. So we had several art therapists in our cohort in D.C., and I'm really interested in learning from you about how that fits together, the art therapy Mm -hmm. practice with sensory motor. It's instinctively right because it's sensory and bottom up, but I'd just love to hear more about how that really plays out in your work. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Well, as we head into the holidays, you know, almost everybody is even more dysregulated than they were before. And it's interesting, these themes that come up. So I'm asking people, you know, if they talk about their week or what's ahead and they feel completely rattled and I'll, the sensory motor question always is, where are you feeling it in your body? And this week, everyone said in my stomach, my stomach's in knots. Mm. And then I, I have it in the book as a coloring sheet in that first book, Square the Circle. But in session here, I'll just hand draw it it's an outline of the stomach and I'll say, you know, fill in the stomach for me. What's actually in there? So in sensory motor, when you're asking all these questions, you know, is there a sound? Is there a color? What's great with the artwork is you can actually visually see it and they get to put it out on the page. So I've seen a lot of green toxic slime these days (laughs) on the bottoms of people's stomach. Someone drew their stomach in a vice yesterday, Mm. but then it's such a graphic, great representation of how they're feeling. So then when the person, I know that this isn't, I'm not an art therapist, so I'm not going to try to be an art therapist, but I do have training in expressive arts. So I'm curious about how you kind of tie it together. You, you talk about where is it in the body and then they do the art activity and then does it come back or to the body or do you talk? How do you go from there? Yeah. <laughs> it depends. Right. But usually we talk then and we set it. I always try and give clients at least some distance because if you look at anything very close up, you know, you can insult it in all kinds of ways. So we're putting it two or three feet away and then we start to talk about it. What's in there. So for some clients, it's just reporting, you know, so if you talk about sensory motor, is it a thought, a feeling or a body sensation? They're just talking through their thoughts, but mm-hmm. they're seeing them in a different way. We talk a lot in sensory motor about the social engagement system. And what's interesting in the art is I know I've got it right. For sensory motor, we ask, we're allowed to make a lot of mistakes, right? So you say like, you repeat back. 
and you say that they get it right and the client's like no you've got it totally wrong it's like this but with the art we've got this third thing between us that for the client probably mostly gets it right and they you know they talk me through it and then there's a couple reparative exercises that we can do kind of like a little magical stranger work one i love to do is to take a piece of tracing paper and put it over and say, can you draw the solution on top? Mm. So that's one nice reparative way. And then sometimes clients want to destroy their art piece, and that can be really tactile and great too. Another thing that happens is once they're done talking, I say, do you want to take it with you? Which means that they would continue to have that in relationship with other people and share it, or sometimes they want me to hold it. So if you think about like the therapist metabolizing and tolerating what the client has produced, they don't have to hold on to it. They actually give it to the client, uh, give it to the therapist. And mostly people want to want me to hold it, which is really interesting, um, especially from a sensory motor perspective of like, you take this, <laughs> I don't mm. want this anymore. I get a break from this. I can have an experiment of putting this down and giving it to someone else. Allowing help. Yeah. You're not alone in this. I'm yeah. on your team. I'll take this from you. So that's really interesting. Yeah. That's such a parallel with attachment to give it to the parent with their, as their, your external neocortex and they can, they can handle what you can't. Great. And they'll even ask to take it. Right? Like, isn't that the parent we all wished for? Yeah. <laughs> the one that was like, I'll take your crap. <laughs> I can handle this. You don't have to worry. That is what we would wish for. Yeah. And then sometimes I do some, I love the magical stranger stuff. I know that that's really cornfeld stuff. And in my sensory motor training, we talked about it a lot. And, you know, I know that there's eight different instructors wandering around. So, Probably not everybody did it the same way. But if something about their inner child came up in the image, I will ask, you know, if we could go back and tell that small child something about life, what would you say to that child that, you know, feels like there's a vice around their stomach? So that can be really interesting. Because then in a way we have that little child present because we have the image and we can really speak to that to that kid yeah from their adult self that's there with you in the room mm -hmm. yeah I like that you know I I mean again I'm not an art therapist and we all know if we're mental health professionals we can't practice outside of our scope so I'm not encouraging anybody to be an art therapist if they're not an art therapist or think that they are when they're not I know that's a big thing for art therapists right it is. I'm a little bit more loosey-goosey, it's okay, than some. <laughs> yeah. But but also, some art therapists would be like, Becca, you're just coloring on coloring sheets. This isn't even art therapy. So, <laughs> if you're, which is fine with me. Trust me. <laughs> I'm 20 years in. Like, I get it. I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah. I'm yeah very but if you're a board-certified art therapist, you're a board-certified art therapist. If you're not, you're not. Yeah. I'm very curious about your expressive arts training. What did you go through one of the certifications or? I did a, an advanced trauma certificate, an advanced level two trauma certificate with the Ferentz Institute, Lisa Ferentz, which is the techniques that we learned in the, in the certificate program, which was like 54 credits, CE mm -hmm. credits is uh, they were mainly expressive arts and some parts work. 
Mm-hmm. So, no, I'm not. I, I mean, I don't call myself an expressive arts therapist either, but I do say that I use expressive arts in my work. Sure. And I ask because I have begun uh, teaching with the local institute that does something really similar the Northwest Expressive Arts Therapy Institute. And they have a nine month long, one weekend a month certificate that they do. And I'm really enjoying teaching those classes because it's all those people who I've met along the way who say, I have a master's and I can't go back and get a second master's. Which, what can I do? How can I learn more about expressive arts? And these training programs are great for that. Yeah. I think it would be detrimental to our field if it was only available for people who can do a graduate program because for those of us who are already practicing and, you know, have like me a mountain of student loan debt, I cannot do another graduate program. There's just no way. But, you know, I, I value creativity and I think, you know, what I learned in that certificate program was so powerful. And so in a lot of ways it was, it was a very experiential training and it was a lot of ways regulating for me. So I wouldn't want to go back to not being able to use that. But we also have an art therapist in our practice and I'm very respectful of, you know, she knows a lot (laughs) that I don't know and I don't pretend to. And it's great. It's a wonderful asset to have her there. But, you know, then there's the in-between space where if you if you have something to guide you, like your book, Square the Circle, your first book or training then it's an extremely valuable resource for getting deeper into trauma work because talking alone isn't, we all have heard, it's not going to really get but so far. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people's trauma is pre-verbal. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, their trauma puts them in a pre-verbal state. Also with trauma, we know people get stuck in these trauma narratives where they can just kind of safely stay in this little realm. And that's when the expressive arts really helps people break into a different space, literally in a different space in their brain, which is fascinating. And people will often say to me, oh, wow, I've never seen that before. That's not what I was expecting was going to come out because, mm-hmm. you know, our, our verbal processing is kind of limited. I say, I say that as a therapist, which is funny. I mean, it can so, go far. It just can't go all the way. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there's, you know, you don't know what you don't know cognitively, but your body knows. And that's what just continues to wow me with sensory motor, putting the two together. Also, as an art therapist, I didn't know what I didn't know. But now when I can watch, you know, I'm watching someone in the session get dysregulated. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) I know what's happening now. Or watching somebody go into different, the part I love most about sensory motor is the personality strategies, Mm. Uh, you know, these ways of coping that got locked in there for a while. And sometimes people are coping at a pretty young level and to help them unwind that story um, has just been incredibly helpful because sensory motor is really Mm non-blaming of the client. And so many clients of mine are just so thankful to not be seen as the problem here. Right. It's not pathologizing. It's very organic. It's nonviolent. I I really value 
sensory motor psychotherapy so much. I should get them to sponsor the podcast because I talk about them all the time, but they're just getting free marketing for anyone who's listening. But I don't mind because I really do believe in it so much. But I like going back to the the example you gave where there might be something related to the inner child. Of course, you know, parts work and and sensory motor too. It's really like inner children, not just one child, but like your inner five-year-old, your inner rebel, your inner teenager, you know. But if if the something related to your young parts is on the artwork, then I think it externalizes it where sometimes it feels kind of unsafe to be working with when someone's very dysregulated and you feel like the part that's present is only the young part, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean, it's okay if that happens, but it just can be hard to do something you certainly wouldn't be doing something processing if if the child part is the main part that's there and the adult part is not online. So I like the way the art prompt gives you kind of a way to see the child, but not you aren't the child. Right. I mean, (laughs) yeah. And the child is doing something that's soothing. Yeah, the art can be very soothing. And I see that with materials and I explain to people all the time, I'm doing kind of an art therapy 101 training at least twice a year that, you know, your material should be really high quality. <laughs> if you are doing depth work with somebody and then you hand them a super crappy marker, <laughs> they're not going to get into a good space with it, you know, but by having kind of high quality materials that somebody, as they're making a mark on the page, they're going, Ooh, <laughs> Like they're getting into the space of creativity. Yeah. And I'm getting frustrated going, this marker doesn't work. Right. And they're delighted in the process. Therapists, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh my gosh, did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend therapy notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Do you guys have buy nothing groups where you are? Do you know about that? Mm, No. Oh, God. Well, you know, the West Coast always gets everything first. I know. It's actually someone I went to to college with invented it. So Mm. it's you just put up on this website, on a Facebook group, something you've got in your house. And it could be everything from, I have an extra bag of flour to a couple months ago, this guy put up, I've got a gigantic Tupperware box of 30 small jewelry boxes. Does anybody want them? And as an art therapist, I was like practically like falling over myself. And me, me, shocking me. to me, no one else wanted these boxes. <laughs> 
And then when I got them home, I realized they're not just 30 boxes, but within each paper box was a the tiny jewelry box. So now I have 60 boxes. Wow. Yeah. And one of the directives that our therapists love to do is an inside-outside box or what I do every December is I have every client make a present for themselves. So I give them a box and they make a present for themselves and wrap it really beautifully. And it's just this really sweet moment of kind of self-care, self-nurturing. And so I'm so, and usually I can't do it when I do the big workshops because like, where am I going to find 30 boxes? But now I have till like now. six. I know. So in the spring, I'm doing art therapy for anxiety and depression. And I'm like, and everybody's got the box. Like, <laughs> um, this is like my dream come true. So, you know, I love all of that externalization work. And that's a lot of what sensory motor is saying is, hey, slow down and look at this a different way. Don't rush. And the art allows people to do that. And then you're really playing with these metaphors in the art therapy, like this box can hold a difficult experience. Like we know that's not really true, but metaphorically, it's so fun to play with. Yeah, I've had an experience in my own therapy where there was something that was troubling me so much and I just didn't know what to do with it or how to let it out or even felt like I couldn't really go to it either. But it was so in the way, like, and, you know, we did the, since I'm the one who's the client, I don't have to lead the therapy, but my, my therapist led me through giving it to them and leaving it there in their office. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I can remember it so well that it was just such a relief. Yeah. Something that felt so impossible, but there's something too in the trust the trust with the therapist that I can trust you to hold this. I don't have to carry it. It'll be here when we need to come back to it. You know, it's, I mean, it's one thing to talk about it, but having those experiences, it's very powerful. Yeah. I'm always amazed that, you know, especially with the box exercise, like here's a box that someone was going to throw away. Yeah. But you give it to someone and you say, this has meaning. And and this space is all about you continuing to make that box even more personal, even more reflective of of who you are on the inside. And then, you know, by the time the person is done with that box, it's the most precious thing they've ever created, right? It has like all of their essence Mm -hmm. is in the box. And it's just such an interesting experience to watch people delight in the process like that. And really, and transform in the session, or at least have a break. Like that's what I've noticed especially now that the country is so tense, like therapy is often, it's just sometimes people will just use this room as a break from the tensions of the outside world. Yeah. That's another thing. When you were talking about the holidays nearing, and I know that it really does bring up so much for everyone, but what is happening in our culture right now and that just our continuing intensifying political situation I know, you know, compared to some countries, there's, it's much calmer, but many people are very stressed. Yeah, I've even heard the statistic during the 2016 election that it went from one in five people would qualify for an anxiety diagnosis, that the APA actually put out a, like a memo saying it's now one in two. Wow, Um, that doesn't really surprise me. I mean, that, again, that intuitively makes sense. 
yeah, I mean, people are incredibly stressed out. Their family systems, you know, they may be not, their intact family system may now be so in disagreement about what's occurring that they can't really go to their family for support. Yeah, so people are very, very stressed out. And I really see that with the art materials. Like, I love, so ephemera is like anything that's fun, like stickers and buttons and little tiny things. And I have a great ephemera box. And people used to just like pick out one sticker. But in the last two years, like people use an entire sheet of stickers. Hmm. And I just think it's like there's this hunger right now to like feel satiated, feel calm, feel kindness. And it really plays out with the art materials. It's pretty fascinating. That's interesting. Yeah, it's a trip. So that means that I get to spend more time hunting for good ephemera, which, you know, I enjoy. But yeah, people really, I don't know, how are you seeing that in your space, that, that desire that people just want to feel calm and grounded? Well, you know, I mean, I think for people with complex trauma, there's always that feeling of wanting to be calm and grounded or wishing to be able to feel that way. But I don't know, I can't name a specific way that they're demonstrating it in their their therapy work. But I definitely see a lot. Maybe I need more ephemera. (laughs) Actually, I have a ton of ephemera in my I cleaned out my office yesterday one part and I had about two garbage bags that had a lot of ephemera that I over accumulated really kind of had to go. But um just in feeling, I think, more dysregulated, just even more dysregulated, more discouraged, hopeless, fearful, you know, and I don't even work with a huge number of people who are directly impacted by some of the things that are happening. It's more just like, oh, my gosh, our, our world is so chaotic. You know, I don't know what to do. How can we be OK when things are so crazy? You know, kind of just that feeling of like, just like living in a chaotic family uh, structure or, you know, a dysfunctional, never stable type of living situation that is just like, oh, my gosh, like, how could I possibly relax ever? Mm-hmm. Everything's so uncertain, so scary. So it's more yeah. like in the ether, you know? Yeah. Well, when the right. I mean, my joke is, you know, when mommy and daddy are fighting, like, you don't ever feel calm. You're always on edge. And so when our whole country feels like mommy and daddy are always fighting. That's so right, true. We're just on edge. Yeah, that's a good metaphor. So yeah. speaking of metaphors and your work, the other aspect of your work that was so interesting to me when we talked before, I mean, I'm sure that all of it is, but what jumped out at me the most, the other piece was the Jungian part. And I'm wondering mm. how that works in with sensory motor with art therapy. <laughs> Just another one. Just another Uh, one. Boy, let me take that. Well, so the kind of the grand dom, we talked about her briefly last time. The grand dom of Jungian art therapy is Joan Kellogg, who came up with this Mari Mandala drawing and card test. And she viewed that there were 13 stages of life that we kind of hopped around in. And so much like the sensory motor experience that, you know, you could have these different character states that are present. Joan Kellogg, like, so sensitive, emotional, Mm -hmm. 
would so this be is like one of the character st- strategies from sensory motor psychotherapy. Would be a stage zero oh, in okay. uh, Joan Kellogg stuff. And so a stage zero would be an empty circle or a fully black circle. So I might see it show up in some interesting ways in the artwork, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I might, so like another example would be there's some real go-tos for adolescent processing for art therapy, like collage. And if I know that someone's really in that kind of very combative state, collage might be a great go-to because they're going to find provocative images in my collage box and they're going to find a way to kind of get stuff out, if that makes sense. Mm Mm-hmm. So that can be an interesting way of processing people's experience. And then also I do a ton of shadow self work. So in that way that, you know, people are like, there's this part of me and I don't like it and I'm going to run away from it and squish it and not know it. You know, in art therapy, I'm like, let's draw it. (laughs) Like, Let's draw your inner critic. So we're letting out. We're, we're just getting to know those characters that have been too taboo or felt too scary to love know. That. I love that. The concept of bringing the shadow into the art therapy work. Another one that's really fun to do is paper bag puppets. Did you ever do those as a kid? Yeah, I feel delighted just thinking about it. <laughs> so what's funny is paper bags, old style lunch sacks are now really hard to find. I actually have to like specialty order them. But, but to do that puppet work is super interesting. So once somebody makes their puppet, and it usually ends up being symbolic of something, I'll, I'll put it on my hand and I'll say, is there anything you want to say to the puppet? Is there anything you want me to say back? So we're definitely doing, you know, that kind of Jungian shadow play work. Mm. And I love that stuff. Although it's funny, recently my clients have been like, no puppets! <laughs> so I'm trying to respect that. A colleague was telling me how a puppet activity in a training was so triggering to the whole group. I'm not sure exactly why. And, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to say that puppet work itself is risky or anything like that, but it's just, it's interesting. Like, I wonder what it can tap into that I'm not aware of. Maybe just kind of the age you would have been in when you do that. Yeah, or sometimes your mom comes out in the puppet. I mean, I've had that happen. Mm. Is that this was really interesting? A client thought they were doing their roommate, but once the puppet was done and I put it on my hand, like all the blood just drained out of their face, and they're like, "Oh my god, that's my mom!" So, anytime you do that, like puppet mask work, all that stuff, you know, unexpected characters arise. I also do a doll making directive. And I have to joke with people like it's half joking, but especially with doll making, the doll may may take over and the doll may be ugly or that something may be revealed, especially three dimensionally, because you're going into more disorganized space Mm. that you may something may develop in the doll that was unexpected. So like this was really once I was making a doll and I was, I was leading the class, <laughs> making the doll. but I have to make one in conjunction with everybody else because otherwise people get confused. And once it was done, I realized that it was the scarecrow from the whiz. And I had had a really intense childhood memory of seeing the whiz. 
Not the Wizard um, of Oz, but the Wiz, right? The Wiz, yeah, completely different experience. And I was like, oh God, but like here I am leading the workshop and like this doll has come out. Why are you like, here? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, I know where we're going with this one. <laughs> but yeah, so it's not, yeah, it can be really interesting work. And that's why I always say no matter what directive you're doing, no matter what you're calling yourself, you got to have done that directive first so that you know yeah. the, the depth that it can take the client and why the client may reject it or be unhappy with it or be mad at you for asking them to do these things. Why it um, may feel too vulnerable for them. Yeah. You know, and especially if you don't have a lot of experience with the expressive arts and you've produced something ugly or unattractive in a public space, and you're not used to containing that as a facilitator, people can feel really overwhelmed that they didn't make something beautiful. Yeah. And whereas people in the expressive arts love that, like, oh, now we're really onto something. It can be overwhelming. It can be really, especially in our culture, where it's like, if it's not Instagram, where they, you know. I know. If it's not beautiful, it shouldn't exist. Yeah. Well, that's very powerful. And, you know, just thinking, it's funny that you brought up doll making, even though I asked about, we'd started with talking about puppets and then, but the doll making thing when you, I just immediately had this like sort of memory that somebody was offering a doll making therapeutic workshop. You know, it was a therapist offering a workshop for doll making. And I was like, that sounds so cool. I was thinking I would love to do that. And I immediately was like, no way, no way. I am so scared of whatever would come out. So whatever part of me is like, uh, 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 no, don't do that. <laughs> I'm not sure why, but um, <laughs> I'm sure it has to do with my shadow because all the stuff that you can't can't look at, you're afraid to look at. Or won't see for whatever reason, you know? Yeah. That's the shadow stuff. Yeah. But they can also be very... Can I tell a, a powerful doll story? Sure, please. So I was Give teaching a doll. Give me a reparative doll, doll experience okay. <laughs> in my mind. Let me just clear this all up. Let me make it all nice. <laughs> um, so in the book, I teach the cheapest way I know how to make a doll, which is out of three pipe cleaners. And I show how to do it. And I was teaching my students that. And at the time, I was really into women's basketball in Seattle, and our team was the Storm. Mm. And when this, this is a sports story. And when the Sonics got sold and went to Oklahoma, which is a Shonda, this town, and people still talk about it, it's one of the most tragic things that's ever happened. Mm. We have a story like, like, like that in Baltimore, too, but okay. keep going. <laughs> it looked like the Storm was going to go with them, and people were just devastated the games are so fun and there's a huge lesbian population here and i think we have one of the largest attendances anywhere in the country and so i made my doll and i realized it was in storm colors and i put it on this background and i wrote save the storm across it and i showed the group and that was that and what was so crazy is that a group of people a group of women business owners in seattle got together and bought the storm and kept them in seattle and i think it got announced pretty soon after I'd made the doll. And so I brought it back to class and I was like, people, <laughs> what you Look can what I manifest. made happen. <laughs> exactly. You can manifest change <laughs> through your doll. So yeah, that part's really interesting. Like sometimes, you know, the collective unconscious really comes out in the artwork and that's really fascinating. 
so I, I had my own grief about this and it was just fascinating. Like these other people that had a ton of money, they had grief about it too. And they got together and they did something. Yeah. So, so your doll was almost like a voodoo doll that you made. Yeah. This, you saved the storm. I did with my doll making. I'm I'm just that magical. <laughs> I love it. Well, you know, now, as soon as you said pipe cleaner, it sounds so much more contained than what I was envisioning. Yeah, I make these tiny dolls because sometimes even the pipe cleaner doll though can go off the rails. But I then I have a bigger that I actually learned from a student a three dimensional fabric doll. That's that's when things can get intense, and when I do it. In a group setting, I have people do kind of not quite a silent witnessing because it's kind of people get giggly, but the dolls meet each other, not the people introducing their dolls to each other, but the dolls go around and meet each other. And then these tribes are a form of similar dolls. Hmm. And so people are walking around the room kind of in these groups. It's the group process is totally fascinating. But, you know, talking about Jungian, like these are these really ancient ways you know, almost every culture makes dolls, I think. You know, so these are these cross-cultural ways of connecting to each other and showing ourselves. And that's so great when you can break across all of those boundaries. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking, too, about just like that you're too old to play with dolls now. Like that whole, you know, of course, boys are socialized that they're right. not even supposed to want to touch a doll. But I know that's changing now, thankfully. But like... Just that idea that pretend play is no longer for you, you know, when you get to be a certain age and how there can be that sort of longing to go back to whatever that was doing for you as a kid. Because, again, as we're talking about dolls, I'm remembering like we had this really cool doll when I was a kid that was uh, on one. It was like one of those dolls that you could turn it upside down and it would be different. Oh, yes. So it was like. I think it was the grandmother and the big it's, bad wolf in right, Red yeah, Riding Hood. I had it too. You did? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. This has come up several times when I do doll making. And then hopefully the next class people have them and then we bring them all in. But it was that whole transformative play, right? Her skirt. Yes. Covered covers the, the other. other does, yeah. And then you flip it and it, oh, yes. It was like Very horrifying and... <laughs> terrifying and exciting too because it's like Mm -hmm. (laughs) wow look oh it's just grandma no it's the big bad wolf you know and it's like (laughs) ah no it's just nice grandma no big bad wolf you know it's it's so exciting to a kid Mm -hmm. you can't get that like (laughs) as an adult you just don't get these like magical like wonder experiences nearly as often as you do when you're a child especially with imaginary play Mm mm-hmm yeah, and that's why I have so much fun introducing it to people and being like, we're going to be delighted in here. You know, I'm going to show you supplies that are going to like invoke a complete sense of wonder and you're going to lose yourself in the supplies and, and time is going to fly by, you know, and they haven't experienced that in so long. And so for some of my clients, they never had that in their childhood. And so it's just like this oh, magical yeah. moment that within their mind are these like chambers of discovery and delight, you know, totally rewires the brain. It's just really amazing. It is so amazing. And that's what, you know, that's one of the things I love going back to sensory motor psychotherapy is that you can have an experience that might last two minutes, but it feels so transformative and nothing's the same after that. 
Yeah. And I will say to my clients, and now that's a total sensory motor thing. Now you've always had this experience and you can land here again. Mm-hmm. And you can, sometimes you can even have the wherewithal to make that choice. Am I going to land in that memory that's really, really hard? Or am I going to land in this new reparative memory where I had a magical stranger with me or where I shook in the trauma and then I released? Mm-hmm. You, know, you can land in these different places. Clients are like, yeah, I'm ready for that. <laughs> ready? Exactly. Not land in the same place over and over and over again and feel crappy every day. That's right. Some some new experiences that take away that feeling of like being record scratch, like stuck, just skipping and staying mm-hmm. into that. Oh, I know where this goes, you know, and that's where mm-hmm. it goes, too. But when you have a couple new experiences, you can maybe it'll go this way this time. Yeah, that's good stuff. Well, Rebecca, once again, our time together has flown by, but I have really enjoyed talking with you about this. I'm so grateful that you're so open to sharing the way you practice and what you're doing, making a difference in the world. Thank you. (laughs) That's the nicest thing I've heard all day. Oh, good. I meant it. I'm going to give you a chance to let our audience know again, for anybody who missed your first interview, where they can find you and where is that? So I do all the social medias. The one I'm best at is Instagram, where you can find me as R, the letter R, T as in Tom, E, X, T as in Tom, R text. I also am on Facebook at Square the Circle Workbook Business page. And then I have my own page at Bloom Counseling, where I try to keep it as up to date as possible. So you can find me all those places. And I've got a bunch of workshops coming up. I'm doing uh, art therapy for depression and anxiety up in Shoreline in 2020. I think it's a March date. In May, the Washington State College Counselor Association is having me out for a two-day workshop at their once-a-year conference. So come on by and buy my books. (laughs) Square the Circle Workbook and Vicarious Trauma Illustrated are both up on Amazon or with the publisher at Book Locker. Book Locker. Okay. Thank you. And I will link to all of those in the show notes. So, Rebecca, thanks again for being my guest today. That was great. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to my interview with Rebecca Bloom about how she uses art therapy together with sensory motor psychotherapy in her practice. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. And just to give you a little idea of what's coming up, Next week, I'm planning to replay an interview I did with Sharon Martin about getting through the holidays. As you may remember, Sharon has been on this podcast before more than once, and she specializes in working with people who grew up in dysfunctional families. So when Sharon talks about getting through the holidays, she's talking about, you know, the stress that any family has and the family dynamics that go on in all families all every time of year that are kind of amplified during the holidays. And also, you know, she talks about the issues that many of us experience related to having families of origin where the communication patterns aren't so fabulous. So stay tuned for that. And then the following week, I will talk about 
what's coming up in 2020 and have a special New Year's episode that should come out around December 26th. And then we will have a special episode in January that's going to be all about dissociation and followed by many more wonderful and interesting conversations. I've been talking with a lot of great people in the past few weeks and hearing a lot of interesting perspectives. So I can't wait to share them all with you. Until then, be well and thank you so much for your support of Therapy Chat. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Just another reminder that if you'd like to become a member of Therapy Chat, supporting the podcast while receiving fun member perks and being able to communicate with me one-on-one, go to patreon.com slash therapy chat. If every subscriber donated just $1 per month, Therapy Chat would be able to keep going strong indefinitely. Thanks so much for your support. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com.